0: It's another edition of the Talking Mets Podcast here on this Wednesday, July the twenty second, twenty twenty. Of course, I'm your host, Mike Silva. You can check me out all the time at the Send me a tweet at Mike Silva Media, and you get the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, pretty much whatever podcasting service you desire. If you want to send me a note, send me a note at Mike Silva at talkingspodcast.com. No G, Mike Silva at Podcast.com. Well, welcome in, everybody. Ready or not, here we go. The 2020 season is, oh, about 48 hours away, and I come to you midweek because it was weird. I'm looking at the schedule, and we usually do our little Sunday powwows and get-togethers and things like that, and uh, you know what? It's not going to be easy the first week of the season because I'm looking at the Mets' schedule. They play on, like, a, a Sunday night. And uh, it's a little bit weird also because uh, I look at uh, some of the start times. I mean, do we really need to start at 7.30 some of these games? Do we need to start on a Friday at 4 o'clock? There's no fans in the stands. So, oh, you know what? You're going to love. This is going to be very strange. And uh, look, uh, we'll start off there because um, no guests today. I just want to kind of set up the, the season and, and give you some of my thoughts going in the season. Uh, we have some ownership group stuff. I really haven't gotten into that and talked to you about that. I want to give you some quick thoughts about that uh, because that's also a big part of uh, what's going to hang over 2020 for the Mets and this team and the and the fans and whatnot. So, you know, as far as baseball, we had the first glimpse of what baseball is going to look like in terms of a broadcast, in terms of the actually, you know, All this, no fans in the stands, no contact, all the little things that we saw. And look, I hate everything. I hate the new rule about the 10th inning. I hate the three-battle rule that was pre-pandemic that was coming out. I hate that. We saw that come a little bit into play on Saturday night. And to be truthful, I watched more of the Saturday game than I watched the game at Yankee Stadium on Sunday. But... You know, with the no high fives, seeing people wear masks, which, all right, whatever, I still don't believe in the first slump that uh, Clint Frazier is going to have a mask on the whole time. I also find it hard to believe that someone in uh, a hot, sunny afternoon game in August is going to have that mask on all day. And if they want to wear it, you know, they, they're basically wearing gaiters. which to me, the gator, if you're going to wear a mask, wear the gator. I I got a bunch of gaiters for myself. I think that's how you pronounce it, gator. Yeah, right? Um, they look better. They're a little bit more fashionable. It doesn't look like uh, your hospital orderly that wandered onto a baseball field and put a uniform on. So, you know, if you're going to stay safe and look somewhat uh, within flow of what you're doing, even better. So, I, you know, maybe you'll start seeing. I'm, I'm sure you'll start seeing t- companies and whatnot uh, market these things. I mean, you go on Amazon, you see a bunch of this stuff out there. So, I mean, fine, okay. Uh, I don't buy that it's going to be something they're going to wear during the at-bat in the field as much as everybody thinks, but so be it. Uh, so the Zoom interviews as the media can't go down to the clubhouse, you know, nothing too crazy about that. I mean, what's the difference between a guy at a podium on Zoom and you sitting in the the, uh, the first, second, third, fourth? I mean, it only goes about 10, 12 rows deep, you know, pre or post game. Not much, so that's not much different. It was a real baseball game. There was a noticeable, of course, lack of energy because there's no fans in the stands. I think you would have saw that anyway for an exhibition game on a hot Saturday night in the summer, uh, which you normally wouldn't see an exhibition game on a hot Saturday night in the summer, but there you go. The cardboard cutouts are goofy, but they are what they are. You know, people get something for being a season ticket holder. It gives you some kind of like filling in the background. I, I don't think it does much. You might as well just put some fancy banners and ads and, and dress it up behind home plate. So, You know, all this stuff, under the circumstances, it was a real baseball game. It really was. I mean, that's the part that I think everybody should take away. And we'll see more of how does it play into a regular season start on Friday. Are the players going to have a different gear? Because you heard a lot of them talk about how once they kind of, in the old, if you remember that Kevin Costner movie, For the Love of the Game, where he clears the mechanism when the fans are screaming and everything that's what players do uh, and I think that's what anybody does in any job when you're trying to focus uh, if you really you know know how to do that you clear your mechanism you focus on the task at hand and you could have people banging pots behind you you know a few feet away and you may not hear it so um, you know to me it was nice to see that we have baseball back now the game wasn't really clean it was ugly Mets played horrible defense uh, I think the hitters all the hitters didn't look like they were really ready to rock and roll. Uh, I think you're going to see a lot of that. You're going to see a lot of players disjointed. I think you're going to see some ugly baseball early on. I told you guys this. You're going to see a lot of uh, what you, which, which you could read about in, in an old book, Just Balling, about the 1999 Knicks and that strike season where the players very similarly were out majority of the year. They didn't start the NBA season until midseason, which would have been almost the all-star break uh, for that sport. And uh, you saw a lot of, uh, you know, injuries, you know, some ugly play, scoring was down. It'll be interesting to see how that translates to baseball and statistically and what trends you will see. You are going to see and you're going to continue to see the media. And and this is where, you know, some things really, no matter what, some things never change. You're going to see the media really lecture us about masks and social distancing and police the players. And you're already seeing, uh, you know, I saw the fist bumps, which I don't think there's anything wrong with that. The fist bumps. I think if you could be on a baseball field, you could fist bump somebody. And I know you guys. I've gotten plenty of feedback. You guys get mad when I when I make some of these statements. But I'm sorry. If you're on a baseball field, you could fist bump somebody. You know, I I don't. I don't. I think this is a a, absurdity. But 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 that's not the main point. Uh, I know that the the media uh, is putting out there where baseball wants to model behavior for the regular uh, you know fan. uh, All due respect. I want baseball coverage. I want the media to cover cover baseball. I want the players to play baseball. I don't want their social commentary. I don't want them to tell me how to be safe. I don't need them to tell me to wear a mask. You listening, me, everybody? We can take care of our families. We can do what we have to do to stay healthy, to stay safe. We're adults. I've been on the earth for forty three years. Hopefully, I'll be at least another forty three years on this earth. Maybe some of you want less listening. Who knows? Well, seriousness. Um, I just want to watch baseball, and that's what this is all about. I want to watch baseball, and I want to get to baseball. And that's where when you think even after a pandemic, you know, the media coverage will be, you know, it will be different. Some things never change. Some things never change with the fans. Some things never change with the media. And as we head into the start of the 2020 season, a season where I think whether you are talking about it at this point on July 22nd, Or you talked about it in late March when we thought the season was going to start as normal. The general fan base freaks out way too quick and worries about too many things off the bat that they shouldn't. And the media looks for topics to hammer away. In a season that, let's face it, is not going to have the same uh, downtime and nuance as we have 60 games in 66 days, it, it may be hard to do what we normally do, what we normally do on this show, which is you know, have a season develop, have, uh, you know, features, have those times where we really go in and talk about the current team and the hot topics and the pennant race. And other times we let the season breathe and, you know, we do what we do here. You know, it's going to be jumping right off the bat. But the media didn't wait to jump right off the bat and jump into the, you know, let's hit the panic button, whether, whether it be Jacob deGrom, and Jacob deGrom's, you know, scare, which you know, tightness in the back and precaution wasn't really a scare. That was kind of silly last week. Uh, whether it's this thing about Jed Lowry and 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 the and the and the oh my god, Jed Lowry's on the disabled list, and then of course Robinson Kenob hitting third. Let me those are the two big things. First, let me start by the 2020 Mets. Uh the 2020 Mets will not have their season decided by Jed Lowry being on the field, period. They moved on from him ages ago. He would have been a nice piece to have as a backup. He would have been a nice depth piece. He may have surprised people. And if he was healthy, because he was a very good hitter when they acquired him. And that's what a lot of people forget. This is totally unnecessary in context of the 2020 Mets. We know that. Totally unnecessary. But when they acquired Jed Lowry on a very reasonable two-year deal, he was a top 20 to 25 offensive player, with runs creation with war with Oakland the year before. He had driven almost 100 runs. He had the potential to play a couple of positions. He was a hedge against Jeff McNeil, who only had, really, a healthy minor league season and eight weeks-ish of major league success. So in the past, you would have criticized the Mets for trying to go and be overly optimistic about a player like McNeil, who did not have a very high prospect status, was a little bit older coming in, and had some success. You would say, well, why are they get banking on that being the norm? Go out and spend money and get yourself a player that uh, will give you some more uh, predictability, has a, a sample size of success, a resume. That was Jed Lowry. And they did that, and it was a reasonable contract, and they lost. Any other GM makes that move, nobody says anything. The fact that that was a, a, a CAA client, Ben Wagonen had a relationship, which his first few months on the job, invaluable being able to pull in from those relationships became a big deal and somehow has become an in, uh, an indictment on his GM tenure it's you know Jet Lowry and Kelnick Jet Lowry and Kelnick go back and forth back and forth who cares doesn't matter anymore and of course Kelnick goes into the second thing which is Robinson Cano I understand Cano and the fans getting upset because when you look at it Cano is going to be that player that is at most risk for struggling in this season. He really is. He's a veteran. His routine's been upset. He's a little bit older. Any kind of veteran hitter, you hear Keith Hernandez talk about this all the time on the broadcast, the season is so long that you have to kind of feel your way at times into it. You can't panic when you go two for 27, or you start the season one for 16. You can't panic. But seasons don't end June 1st, which is essentially what this season when it ends, it would be like ending the season right around Memorial Day, around June 1st. So they're not going to have that kind of luxury. And Cano is going to be the guy that, because of the prospect they gave up, and I always say this, because he's a former Yankee, and I said this, if you go all the way back to when this first this trade came down, I talked about how important it is for former Yankees to come over and play well right away. Because Mets fans don't tolerate former Yankees not performing when they come over to the Mets like former Yankees, like they did with the Yankees. And they have less tolerance for this player not to perform like he is because they gave up Mickey Mantle, Jared Kelnick. Forget the fact that they have a pretty loaded outfield with J.D. Davis and Conforto and Nimmo, who all are very good offensive players. Jared Kelnick is all they care about. That's all they care about. So Cano's not going to have the luxury to go in and feel his way through. Forget the fact that nobody talks about when you say, okay, why is he batting 30? He had a horrible year. It was one of the worst years of his career. Well, he had a pretty good second half. He had nine home runs, 880 OPS. Pretty much, if you look at the numbers, go to Baseball Reference, he looked like Cano in the second half. He looked like Cano. um, Now, he had the hamstring injury, and I think that took away a little bit from his momentum. But... To me, Robinson Cano, post All Star break, was pretty much the offensive player that you you were looking for. Yeah, the four threes, the lazy ground balls, the second drive you nuts. I know his energy level is not what you want. I, I think he's doomed to fail because of those two things. Because of Kelnick, even though Kelnick is more connected to the Diaz, no, he's not. He is connected to the Diaz, part of the uh, the trade and uh, the Yankee component. I think Cano will never. Be accepted over here unless he, for the rest of his tenure, or at least has a period where he plays like the Cano in his prime. S- ramping it up, shutting it down. This is just going to be the new routine that these guys have to uh, to 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 play with, and Cano is going to be one of those guys. But I know that that's not the lineup, and that was the criticism. Well, how can they bat? Uh, you know, uh, Cano uh, third. Uh, look at Luis Rojas. Uh, the, the front office is writing the lineup. You know, they th- this is ridiculous. Well, hold on a second. A couple things. First of all, last I looked, it was exhibition games, so they're playing things around, trying to get people at bats. Batting someone number three versus batting them six, seven, eight, nine, good chance they'll get more at bats. That's simple math. You guys are smart. Number two, are you surprised the front office is writing the lineup? Didn't we talk about this ad nauseum throughout the winter when they were going through the managerial search? Haven't I said, I'm a guy who believes that managers have their own little uh, uh, situation in the dugout. Once the game card is, is handed over and you hire the manager, that if they could get their data, they could get their support for the front office. It should be their decision. I'm the guy that's all for that. But that's not sports today. It's about collaboration with the front office. Read, if you're a Knicks fan, read as they go through the coaching search, what that front office, Leon Rose, another former agent, what they're looking for. Collaboration. I told you, once the Mets moved on from Girardi, Buck Showalter, guys like that, they were going the route where they wanted someone like Rojas who could manage the clubhouse and, and be that buffer between uh, you know the front office and, and the players, but they wanted to have influence, the front office, in game preparation, lineups, bullpen management, things like that. That's what's going on across baseball. That's going on across town with the Yankees. That's going on everywhere. So if Brody Van Wagen, it says Bat Cano third, here's what I promise you. It has nothing to do that he's his former agent. He doesn't get paid on that anymore. He got paid on that. He could tell Robinson Cano to jump into the Atlantic Ocean. He can't get his commission back. So remember that. It's because either they're trying to maximize what they can get out of him mentally by putting the guy in a position where he's used to, or they feel, in order to get you know, him where he needs to be. He needs as many at-bats as possible. Now, I know what you're saying. You're here to win. Every game is like the seventh game of the World Series. Well, it is and it isn't. I mean, I don't know if Cano batting third or Cano batting sixth is going to be the determining factor. It's a little bit more of a determining factor in the 2020 Mets than it is Jed Lowry. Who had no Jed Lowry could never, and he probably won't, play another game or get another at-bat as a Met. And that's not going to be any one win or one less loss for this team. So, just remember... There's a lot more to this than a couple exhibition games. If he struggles and 10 days in, 12 games in, he's hitting 162, I don't think he's going to be batting third. Personally, I think Brandon Nimmo as a leadoff hitter is one of the um, perfect spots for him. Just because he batted lower in the lineup on uh, Sunday, you know Sunday doesn't mean that's where they want him. They're trying to get guys as many at-bats as possible. These were exhibition games. My See, with the lineup, the Mets have an elite offense. And that's going to be what drives, in my opinion, this team in 2020. And it's probably going to be more of an offensive-centric team going forward because there's more predictability in paying for and keeping in-prime, young, high-upside offensive players like Alonzo, McNeil, Conforto. You guys get the drift. The rotation... And the bullpen, which are obviously the rotation has always been the Mets' strength, not as much predictability when it comes down to it. This is a really elite offense. I think Nimmo first, McNeil second, and then some combination of Alonzo and Cespedes 3-4 if Cespedes is healthy. You got J.D. Davis you could put in the middle of the lineup. Towards the bottom, maybe you put now the D.H. Rosario uh, in the number 9 hole, almost like a second leadoff hitter, get that speed going. With him and uh, and Brandon Nimmo nine one, uh, you know depending on Wilson Ramos versus Rene Rivera versus Nitto, you know those would be you know as high as five six down to you know eight nine and things like that. It's a pretty deep lineup. You got power, you got on base. That's what the foundation is going to be. Cano to me at this point in his career, similar to guys like Don Mattingly, similar to how they wanted to move at times as he became less the player that he was. They want to move David Wright down in the lineup. Remember, David Wright, when he came up, tried to move him. They didn't put him number in the middle of the order right away. Willie Randolph batted him like six, seven, eight at times before he really wanted to put him. We had to move Piazza down in the lineup. These are things that happen gradually, whether it's 162 games or a 60-game season. And you, you got to let them manage this. They know better. And I promise you, Mets lineup is not going to be shoving Robinson Cano if Robinson Cano is hitting 150, 200, 210 in the three hole the whole year just because he's Brody Van Wagenen's former client. He's not. So so that's that. I think it's easy to get upset and angry because he's a former Yankee, because of Kelnick. we got to move on from that. Now, what do you guys uh, think of the season coming up? We're Like I said a million times, we're not going to know. We're not going to know what to expect. There's going to be all sorts of wacky things injuries, uh, variable performance. Are the, Is the offense going to be ahead of the pitching? Is the pitching going to be ahead of the offense? What kind of games? I think you'll start to see early on, just like in that NBA season where scoring was so down because players were just out of sync. You know, will scoring be up because pitchers are so behind? Will hitters be behind the pitchers? Is, was it easier to stay on top of your game as a pitcher during the pandemic? We don't know. The, when you look at this team on paper, The team, it starts with the offense. I think the bullpen has a chance to be, especially if Familia can return to some kind of form. Familia in those, you know, 7th inning, 6th inning, getting out of some jams, like having a closer. I mean, you can literally have a closer in the 6th or 7th inning, 8th inning. From the 6th inning on, whether it's Familia, Lugo, Betances, and then you have Diaz, you have a closer or someone who has closed in some capacity coming into the ballgame. And that's a big deal. So you can now be a little less concerned because you don't have Wheeler. You don't have Syndergaard. But if you look at the rotation, everyone's talking about, and I agree, Stephen Matz. Because this is where the Mets, for the first time in a long time, I don't have as much confidence in what you're going to get out of that. Matz certainly is a guy lefty coming to his prime that I think this is a big point in his career. He's going to be heading towards almost becoming a free agent in the next couple of years. He wants to establish himself more to the top of rotation than the back of the rotation. But as I looked more at Michael Waka, to me, he's the guy that can basically put this rotation on par with first half Mets rotation. Got to remember, I keep going back to it. Rotation with both Wheeler and Stroman was never the plan Strowman was always, and anybody will tell you that is in the game, that was connected with the game, the replacement for Wheeler because they had concerns about committing to him long-term. So that rotation that was a lot better in the second half because you had four out of five in the top 25 in terms of uh, results. Those are the kind of pitchers. Those are guys are before the top 25, 30 in all baseball at times. You're only going to have, the only plan was to have three, and now you have two because of the fact that Syndergaard is out for the year. But when you dive into Syndergaard last year, he wasn't really good outside of maybe one stretch in July into August. It was very much like the Waka that gave the Cardinals results in 15, 16, 17, 18. And 2018 is not that far away. Waka was significantly above league average that year. The issue was not necessarily about his performance. His issue was staying on the field, staying healthy, making starts. That's not as big of an issue in a 60-game season. You could probably cobble together your 8, 10, 12 starts out of a guy because, let's face it, even the most injury-prone player, the breakdowns don't always happen first week of the season. It's when you start to really get into those you know, middle of June, July, dog days, when the season starts to get really kick into gear, which is about 60, 70 games in, which is when this season ends. I think you could get something out of Waka. I don't. Th- I think Waka is the key. Porcello is going to replace Vargas. He's probably a better version than Vargas because I think he could get and compete, get out and compete with better lineups. I'm not sure Vargas could always do that, even though he had a very good year last year. And I think he and I said I thought he would be more of a surprise than everybody thought. So when you look at this team, the the, the situation is the rotation is not as good as what it was in the second half. I think it has a chance to be just as good as it was in the first half. The offense could be significantly better. And it comes down to, are these bullpen arms ready to be normal? Not, you know, Mets have had some, and I've said this a thousand times, so if I'm saying a thousand one and you're bored of it, I'm sorry. I have to say it again. Mets have had bullpens over the last five years that are probably worse than some of those teams in the 60s. So for those of you who watched the Mets during the 60s and saw how bad some of these bullpens are, I mean, you got bullpens that Jeff Torborg. Jeff Torborg's bullpens probably were better options than some of the Mets' bullpens over the last five, six years. And that's not a joke. Look at the numbers. The numbers don't lie. They don't lie. So this will come down to not Jed Lowry, to not Robinson Cano hitting third. None of that's going to matter because Robinson Cano worked itself out. Lowry's insignificant. Mets have moved on a long time ago from him. It will be Ken. The offense that was elite, that probably only the Dodgers were better than them in the second half last year. Can J.D. Davis and Ahmed Rosario and Nimmo stay healthy and continue to be a high performance on-base run producer that he is? Can Alonzo in a 60-game season not be as scrutinized as he would over 162 because he's probably not going to have the same kind of overall year and buzz that he had? Can McNeil continue to be Somewhat of a hybrid. You know, will he not be an extreme player where he's, you know, contact one half, power second half? Can he kind of blend those into being an overall hitter? Can this offense continue to produce five plus runs a game, which is what they did in the second half last year? Because that's what you need to do to win. And especially with the rotation that we're not sure... How deep that rotation could go? It's going to be probably a lot of bullpen games. There's probably going to be games, especially when Porcello starts against certain lineups in the American League parks, where you're going to have to score six, seven, eight runs that day to win. Can this offense sustain that? Are they good enough? Can they stay healthy? You know, because then you start to get into the Luis Guillermes, the Jake Marisniks as backup. I mean, nobody's going to be able to do uh, an elite offensive lineup. You know, backup wise, every position. You know that. So that's what this season is going to be about is this lineup being the fuel, being the centerpiece, and then the rotation and the bullpen supporting it. It never was like that. It was always the rotation and then the offense and the bullpen being the support. That's changing, and I don't think that's cha- coming back. I think that's what the foundation of this team is going forward. That gives you more certainty. That's a better investment for your dollars because offensive players are more certain to be a long-standing uh, contributor, more production going forward. You saw all the issues we've had with Syndergaard, Wheeler with his injuries, Matt Harvey. I could go on and on. Jacob deGrom so far, that contract hasn't been a problem. But Jacob deGrom and those contracts, and those long-term contracts are the exception, not the rule. They have some big decisions to make. And and, and that's what I don't envy Brody Van Wagenen. Because a lot of what happens this year, like I said, I'm not sold on it feeling the same winning in a 60-game season. You're going to have to make decisions to put together a team to compete and win in a normal 162-game season that we hope 2021 and beyond will go back to those kind of normal seasons. And you got to be careful about what decisions you make based on the results of this year, good, bad, or indifferent. So that's really what I'm looking at as we go into Friday, 4 o'clock, opening day for the Mets, Atlanta Braves, City Field. Why four o'clock? I have no idea. Might as well just had it seven. Let people get home from work, you know, settle in, get ready for some baseball instead of having to, you know, driving on the, you know, whether it's the LIE, Belt Parkway, wherever you're, you know, taking the mass transit, if that's what you still got to do, and throwing on your, you know, your app now, you know, the radio in the car, whatever. I don't know why they did that, but it is what it is. I guess the cardboard cutouts want to go with four o'clock game. That's what they are. The cardboard cutouts. It's all for them, right? Anyway, let's take a quick break. When we come back. The Mets and the ownership situation, I haven't really talked about it. I have some thoughts. I'm not going to dive too deep in it, but I thought it was important because that's heating up, and that will be a backdrop of the 2020 season. There's going to be a lot of backdrops. That'll be one of them. That'll be the main one. Won't be talked about a lot, I think, once the games start, but I think it's something that we have to keep an eye on because there's major ramifications, and I'll tell you what, don't assume all of them are good. You're listening to the Talking Mets podcast. We'll be back with more right after this. Matt Harvey was a polarizing force during his time with the Mets. Jared Diamond, national baseball writer for the Wall Street Journal, shared his experience covering the Dark Knight on the Talking Mets podcast.
2: Well, covering him in 2013 was absolutely remarkable. It was so incredible. And I think, like like anyone else who saw him that year, you thought you were looking at, you know, the next Nolan Ryan, a guy that was going to be around for a long time and be a perennial all-star and establish himself as one of the best pitchers in baseball, best pitchers of his generation. So it just was, it makes me sad looking back what happened to him. And now that doesn't mean that it wasn't his fault. He did a lot of things wrong. He made a lot of mistakes. And I have no doubt that he would acknowledge that uh, now looking back. Uh, This was a tragedy that was certainly self-imposed in many ways with with bad decision-making by Matt Harvey, but he also had a lot of pressure put on him by the media, by fans. Uh, it's just sort of a sad story, and it's a shame that he will never be the player he could have been, the player perhaps he had a chance to be, and it's just another one of those baseball stories of sort of what-could-have-been stories.
0: Listen to this and more at www.talkimitspodcast.com. All right, we're back. It took me a little bit to get into gear this morning. I I guess maybe early morning. I usually do these as soon as I wake up, you know, start the day off doing these podcasts. Maybe the crust and the frog in my throat. I I struggle a little bit through those first. I'm honest with you guys. I struggle a little bit through those first, you know, 25 minutes or so monologue. So feel a little bit better. Um, Again, no guests today. We're going to just have good old me as we prepare for the 2020 season, ready or not. Here we go, and uh, you know you heard what I had to say. It's about the men's offense. It's about establishing this offense as uh, a threat going forward, as having core offensive, young, in prime, high upside offensive players. And then the other two as- aspects of the organization, the other two facets, the pitching, the starting pitching, the bullpen. They'll they'll be surrounding that and supporting them, and and that's where it's at. And it's not about Lowry. It's not about Cano. Uh, despite the fact that that's what you're reading a lot about. In the papers as we go uh, towards Friday and opening day at 4 p.m. on Friday. Now, the other thing that you've been reading about is the ownership situation. And this has been something that we've talked about for a while. You know, we all thought back in uh, what was it, December, we had, uh, you know, we had some programs about Steve Cohen and, uh, you know, potentially what a Steve Cohen ownership and the and the kind of money the 14 billion dollars you know that uh you know he brings to the table what that can do um you don't know and i keep saying this everybody you don't know how a new owner will do and the positive impact or negative impact that they'll have on this team until they actually take over all that everybody knows is they don't want the will Pons. let's let's face it the will ponds q rating their approval rating if you want to use a a political term, the approval rating. Uh, you know, think about whoever, whichever president in history, whether it's the current one or I don't know the history of of approval ratings. You know, who's had the lowest approval rating? You know, at any point in time, uh, I think the Wilpons would take that low approval rating than the, any approval negative approval rating you get from the current president or any president in history, because that would be higher than I think if you did it, uh, the same poll with Mets fans about them right now. You know, nobody likes them. But I do know whether it be the Harris group down in Philadelphia, A-Rod and his band of investors, Steve Cohen, you don't know what someone's going to do until they come in and they start the process of owning the team. Right now, the Mets have a good GM. They're building some really good things in the farm system. They have some really good, like I said, offensive players that I think they could build around. And I think that the rotation and the bullpen and other aspects, depth and what have you, are going to require an investment that this current ownership group doesn't have the cash flow for. So ownership change is going to be about cash flow. I don't care, you know. I read the Daily News op-ed by the senator, you know, all about how bad of a guy Steve Cohen is because insider trading. And from what I understand, uh, if you watch Billions, the sh- you know the Showtime uh, series, Bobby Oxarod is loosely based on Steve Cohen. I mean Steve Cohen being a hard charging you know play in the gray area of the rules, hedge fund financial guy from Wall Street. that's not you know he's not the only guy like that. You know, that's a that's a shark tank. And if you get in there, you got to be ready to play with the sharks. I mean, right wrong or indifferent. What you guys like about Cohen is money. Who wouldn't like 14 billion dollars and that kind of foundation being invested into a baseball team? I laugh that there are people that have the audacity. To say they're concerned about him coming in and and not playing by the rules and and spending too much, you know, I've been hearing the Mets don't spend enough for well over a decade since Madoff. They get the Yankees get applauded for doing whatever the hell they want, and now they Mets may have a guy that has more money than Steinbrenner ever had, that really could muscle with the Yankees or anybody. Dodgers on top of it. Dodgers have hedge fund guys that own the group, the Guggenheim, Guggenheim group. Um. And it's, it's all this, oh, I don't know about this. I mean, I just it's just so tiresome. It really is. I laugh. I'm like, okay, so this is going to be the issue? Him being it. You want me to go into the backgrounds of a lot of other owners and what they've done? And and the, and the things they've had to do to stay at the top? You think you make billions and billions and billions and billions of dollars? So we're now going to judge people's character on everything. We're going to go. Because let me tell you something. The person who wrote that article in the Daily News, let me get her name. Jessica Ramos, what is he, senator from East Elmhurst. I know the area very well. You got a lot of work to do. Trust me. Anybody who's politician in that area, you got a lot of work to do. That's all I'm gonna say. A lot of work to do. Shouldn't be worried about watching a mech game. You got work to do. Let's put it that way. Um So, you know, let's put the judgment aside. Arod's group, I'm sure if I go into the the guys from Philly, things like that. We will know from a standpoint of Ownership, The A-Rod group, because you have Rapoli, a Queens guy, Viola, a Brooklyn guy. You got A-Rod, who's a baseball icon, loves the sport. You know, his wife or his future wife, entertainment icon. There's a lot of cachet there. You got a lot of local flair there. You know, Rapoli's a self-made guy, comes from a sales and marketing background. You know, similar to Brody Van Wagen, I think those guys bring an energy and a, and a commitment to winning and, a, and, and the ability to really – uh, you know, muscle in with the big boys that you haven't seen with this organization, with the willpons and with Sandy Alderson, uh, and for a long time you haven't seen. You know, maybe Omar Manaya to a certain degree played in that, in that sandbox, uh, and that would be a refreshing change. The problem I have here is this. The only thing that I care about is that the new owner has cash flow and a commitment to supporting the franchise in a positive ownership role meaning let's not come in and do things for the front pages just to do it for the front pages. Not not upset the apple cart just because it's my toy now because that, no matter if you have $14 billion, $100 billion, $300 trillion you're coming in with, if you put bad management principles in, the only difference between the Wilpons and the new owner, whether it's Cohen, A-Rod, you know, anybody, is they got cash flow to burn. So it'll be a little bit more fun. But it'll be detrimental. And the fact that you have members of the media thinking that Brody Van Wagen and, and this group that they've put together are on borrowed time because a new owner, that's exactly the behavior that you don't want to see. So whichever one of these groups, we all know they, and even A-Rod, who's cobbling the money together with a, with a, with a cast of thousands, it seems like has the money to buy the team doesn't mean they have the cash flow to run the team right now the only guys that you think are the Philly group and Cohen that you're confident have the cash flow to sustain supporting this team because it's losing money the only way you're going to turn around is investing and investing in payroll and i love hearing rapoli you know the old vitamin water guy talking about i'm a great marketer i could market i've brought brands and i respect the hell out of him anybody who can do and 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 create and sell a brand for the kind of money he sold, vitamin water to Coca-Cola. Tons of respect. But there's only one thing that really sells in sports. And don't let anybody fool you. You know, you could do all these little things with, you know, trying to recruit new age fans, trying to get, uh, you know, a, a more spice to the game, winning. Mets win, and they consistently win, and they consistently are in the playoffs like the Dodgers and the Yankees. And the Cardinals and how the Nationals, what they've done. You know, the Nationals don't have to do a lot of crazy marketing. Guess what? They've been good for 10 years. That's what's going to do it. And you need the money to do that. Look, the A-Rod group has A-Rod at the front. It would be a great story. Latino owner. Self-made guy from Middle Village, Queens, and Rapoli. A guy who is from Brooklyn and Viola. Some former athletes. You see a bunch of football players and NBA players as part of that. A lot of good stuff that you could talk about. A lot more good stuff that maybe you could talk about with Cohen, who's a Wall Street guy. Also a Mets fan. How big of a Mets fan? Who knows? We know Rapoli, and we know A-Rod. We know Rapoli loves the Mets. We, that's been going for years. I think Wright was one of his first investors in vitamin water. Maybe that gives him some kind of inroads, too. You know, Wright's close with the Wilpons. A-Rod, we know what he's all about. We know what he did. Look, I remember it like yesterday. I was on the ESPN affiliate out in uh, Long Island when that whole thing was going on, where he was suing the Players Association. He was, you know, charging into WFAN to speak with Francesa, yeah, mad at the Yankees, suspended for a year. It all came apart for A. Rod during that period. I remember it like it like it was yesterday. He was hated, but I always, you know, felt and I always said during that time all the real story and nobody reported it because it wouldn't be popular. The real story out of that was how corrupt. Major League Baseball was under Seelig, and and Manfred, of course, was part of that. So I'm not, you know, I'm not all about being angry at A-Rod. I think he'd bring a lot of passion and cachet. And sure, having a celebrity wife that could transcend baseball and maybe put the Mets on more of a sexy Q rating would be great. But at the end, it'll be about, can they support and hopefully keep the current administration going? Because... They've built some things. You don't want to start from scratch. There's no need to start from scratch. And invest the cash. And I don't know if the A-Rod group has the cash where they could just go out and plug holes. What needs to be done, especially now. Look, even a Steve Cohen is going to have a ceiling. He's not just going to throw money every year to lose money because he want, this is his toy and he wants to win. He may do that the first couple of years. But if he doesn't get results or he starts to see that his money's being wasted— I don't care how much money you have. Nobody who's made $14 billion wants to throw $100 million down the tubes to sign a free agent because he wants the back page of the New York Post on a random Tuesday in December. So it's going to be about the balance of cash versus management. Can they stay back and jump in the fray and be involved in a positive way when it matters. When it means landing that big fish. When Scott Boris wants to have that one-to-one sit-down with a big client. He wants to talk to Steve Cohen. He wants to talk to the Arod group. And a lot of times to me, groups, whether it be the Philly guys, who I think in a lot of ways will, will be similar in the sense where maybe the most benign, where I don't think they want to be. And I don't know this, so I'm just speculating. But I'm speculating based on what I'm reading where they'll want to have a piece of this. This team will be part of a sports portfolio. You know you know what they've done in, in Philly. The Sixers were built from basically ground up. So they may be the most benign, where they're not looking just to grab headlines in newspapers, where I think the, the Cohen and the A-Rod group are more newspaper-centric headline guys. But they're not New York guys. I mean, you know, to me, you want that connection. you got to understand this fan base. you got to understand what this is all about. You know, you, the, what the fans want is they want the Mets to be relevant and they want them to be in the, you know, I want to talk about the baseball sandbox with the big boys like the Yankees, like the Dodgers, but I don't think they want to lose that blue-collar connection. I think they still like, and I like how there's so many homegrown players on this team. You know, they like it to be where you could combine and have really strong, homegrown players that you could connect with that the over the course of the team's history, the fans have been able to connect with the Seavers and the Goodens and the Strawberries and things like that, but then also bring in and bring in the next wave of Hernandez's and Piazza's and guys like that that could connect and combine the two, you know? So, to me, it's very simple. Cash flow and management style. And the, and the, and the, and the guy I want to win this as the combination of both. And right now, I think, in all honesty, I'm not sure that the A-Rod group can have the cash flow with all those investors. They could, It's just what I said on Twitter, at Mike Silver Media. You could use the analogy of a house, car, whatever. I could cobble together as much money as I can to buy a million-dollar home. Once I am in that home, I have to heat it, I have to pay the electrical bills, I have to furnish it, I have to upkeep it. I could afford the house. I could afford the building around me and the mortgage payment. But if my money just goes to the mortgage payment and that's it, and I have nothing else to support that home, well, it's going to be a pretty empty home. It's going to be cold or hot, depending on the time of the year. And God forbid, if pipe breaks, I'm going to have a flood and I probably am not going to fix that flood. So that nice little home is going to look really not so nice pretty quickly. And that's why I think you'll probably at the end I'm not sure the A-Rod group. And now I could be wrong. Maybe there's more money. Rapoli, and I'll say this. You, you see Rapoli, I saw his the article in The Athletic. You don't come from the background that he comes from and count that guy out. You don't count A-Rod out. Rapoli built something from scratch. Don't discount that. He's been in the pit. You know, consumer packaged goods and those kind of businesses and, and selling to Coca-Cola for over 3000000000 billion. Don't discount that. A lot harder than writing an article for the Daily News and running East Elmhurst as a politician. Trust me about that. And if you want, go Google Steve Cohen. I don't want to give the Daily News any more pub than they deserve because they don't deserve any. It's a terrible newspaper. But just remember that. So so that's where we're at. That's my position. I want the best combination of cash flow and management style. This is not about – I don't want this to be about Steve Cohen. I know that guys like that, they have an ego. They're going to make it about themselves. You don't get to be that way because of that. I don't want it to be about A-Rod. I want the the right owner to come in to inject the life and continue to build on the aggressive, creative, you know, no-limits thought process that this front office has. I really believe that. And I'm not just saying that because I'm trying to tell myself that. I believe that. I think you've seen that to date in a lot of the behaviors that this front office has displayed. You don't want to come in and upset this apple cart. It'll be disastrous. It'll be like putting the old saying, lipstick on a pig. You're going to have the same results – Just in a way different way. And guess what? The Walpons might not look that bad at that point. I know you think that's crazy to say, but it could be worse. It could be worse with more money. You need the cash flow. They cannot survive. They cannot sustain this franchise. They have to go. We know that. That's been established for a while now. But you don't want them to go at the expense of it being a wild roller coaster ride on the other way. Because it'll still be different process same outcome that's what it comes down to all right let's take a quick break wrap up you're listening to the talking Mets podcast we'll be back with more right after this we like to look back at Mets history at the talking Mets podcast like on August 10th 2017 when Dave Malicki joined me as we remembered his shutout of the Yankees in the first ever subway series in 1997.
3: The thing that always comes to my mind is just obviously just you know striking out Jeter to end the game that was like um you know that was that was a thrill, but that you know the game was in hand at that point, obviously, and I had the bullpen warming up and everything was going. But um, that's that's the you know the big memory I have. Um, some other ones just were some, some other strikeouts. Um, you know early, you know in the middle middle parts of the game, I, and I did I gave up a bunch of hits. I felt like I could, you know, the big guys I was getting out, and then um, not the little guys you don't want to say that, but the the back end of the order I had trouble with those guys and. Um, you know that that's that's where I you know I got in trouble. I feel like I gave up a hit almost every inning. I was like, oh, holy cow. But it was just I, I felt like I could get out of anything, which was which was really um, and a good feeling. And um, you know, I think to start the game, I think Jeter got a hit, reached on an error on the second, and then got and then I you know got the next three guys out. and I didn't let him advance, and that that gave me a ton of confidence. Just that first inning, really kind of set the tone for me
0: listen to this and more at www.talkingmetspodcast.com you know i was thinking during the break how uh my analogy about the home home and i should have said too that part of owning a home is if you have a really nice home and you come in and you wind up messing around with too many things that nice home all of a sudden doesn't look so nice and sometimes you could buy a home that has some good aspects to it you don't buy a home and renovate the whole darn thing well i i do understand too you know with that analogy guy like cohen comes in there's going to be things he's going to want to do and he has a right to do it doesn't mean you keep everything status quo but the hope and the point is like i said cash flow paramount that's what you need and uh you know most importantly can you be a plus a positive plus Because there is some good things going on here. But, you know, the long and the short of it is, uh, you know, this Mets team, uh, you know, we're ready to go, I guess. It's going to be weird watching no fans in the stands. Uh, It's going to be weird to see how they, you know, the players, how can they get up? Because sometimes no fans, and and I said this, fans are already kind of annoying me with this whole Cano, Jed Lowry whining. Can we keep them away in 2021 too? play without fans? You know, how will that impact? How will it impact positively or negatively? You know, Mike Vaccaro talked about that. In the New York Post, uh, and I joke because there's a lot of you guys that are part of that, you know, whining group that I love because that's why we have this this podcast. Without you guys, there's no podcast. I don't do this. Uh, there's no need to spend time on a Wednesday morning before a busy day to to get my thoughts out to you. Uh, you know, so that that's part of it. Ultimately, it will not be about Canon, like I said. It'll not be about Lowry. It'll be about how good these young in prime high upside offensive players perform. Can they get enough out of the rotation to be adequate with, you know, obviously Degrom and Stroman anchoring it and the bullpen to me, that is going to be a very interesting cause it could be very good. Uh, but I also know what uh, some of the arms that are in there, there's some miles on there. It could also be very disappointing and, Finally, like I said, decisions have to be made. Brody's got to make decisions going into the offseason because this isn't just about 2020. you got Stroman, who's a free agent. You may have to lock up a guy like Matz. Uh, You know, do What do you need? You know What offensive performances are real? What pitching performances are real? What are not? And that will be very interesting how we view the next 60 games because it's essentially Friday at 4 o'clock. Well, Thursday the season starts with the Nationals. Friday at, at 4 o'clock, uh, the Mets season starts, and it ends, in a, you know, in, in all essence, it ends Memorial Day, which would have been a normal season, 60 day, games in. And, you you know, you're going to be playing. You're going to be playing some games in uh, in Buffalo with the Blue Jays in a minor league park, so lighting is not as good. You know, results are going to be very weird. Players are going to be stressed because of other things. You're going to have players being put on the – coat, hopefully nobody, but there will – look, let's be realistic. There's going to be players – they're going to go on the COVID injured list. You're going to have uh, teams that are compromised. So maybe there'll be you know series or periods where you get an easy part of the schedule because some some teams are having pitching problems. Again, we don't hope for that, but it's going to be really weird. And all I can say is this: it's not ideal. I still feel like it's lacking. I'm starting to get into it, and I know I told you this back probably a month ago when everything started to crack open here and. You had Kevin Kernan of the New York Post on our show. I keep telling you I'm not into it. I keep telling you it's not going to feel the same, and I keep telling you that no matter what the Mets do, good, bad, or indifferent, that it's not going to matter to me. It's not one of those seasons where, as a fan, you want to go into your home office and put up the pennant above your, you know, wherever you put like whatever you know memorabilia that brings you back to your childhood. You put that up. It's not going to be like that this season. And and I'll tell you what. At some point, you may accuse me of lying because I have a right to reserve to change my opinion and call myself a phony because I'd call anybody else out a phony, but I still feel that. There's still that pullback, and and I hope it changes. It has nothing to do with social distancing rules. It has nothing to do with empty stadiums. It has to do with this is just so disjointed. It's the changing of the rules that would have happened anyway. They were dying to put this runner on second base in the 10th inning rule for a while. You knew it was coming. This just was an excuse there's so much there to it. So I hope I'm wrong, and I hope I could come to you in the next few weeks and say, you know, I was a phony. This is is great. 60-game baseball, it's going to be a weird season. We'll look back at it differently. This will be 20 years from now. This will be a cool look back. If we're still doing this show, God willingly, and uh, we'll see where it needs to go. Hey, before I I say goodbye, and and again, I want to thank everybody for tuning in, uh, and I'll give you kind of a little scheduling update. I want to thank, you know, I've been getting some really good uh, emails. And like I said, if you want to email me, Mike Silva at mets podcastcom no G Mike Silva at talkingmets podcastcom uh, from Randy Randy's a healthcare worker and uh, Randy is uh, you know upset with me and, and that's okay you know being upset with me is part of this program and and like I said no matter whether you like what I say dislike I want you to know that always remember this and I say this and I'll say this every time I'll, I'll couch my words because I want really to be drilled into uh, when you download this and and participate in this podcast and dedicate your time, your precious time, your hour a week, which you could be doing anything else. It's greatly appreciated, and I don't care what your background is, what your ethnicities is, what your affiliation is, what your politics are. I want you here. I do, and that's the truth. That's not me. A lot of people say things and do things for show. You have enough of that in your life. The fact that you could dedicate an hour, I don't care if you're from Mars. I appreciate you, and I want you back, and that doesn't mean that I don't want you around. You may not agree with everything I do, and I hope that you respect that, and I try to learn it, and you know, and Randy's upset with me because of some of my you know, offhanded comments about social distancing and the, and the healthcare rules and all that, and I'm not going to get into that, but what I will say to Randy is this. Number one, thank you for listening, and I hope you continue to listen. I hope you hear this. If you do hear this, let me know. Send me a note at Mike Podcast.com. Again, no G, because I've had people do the G. What you told me about your experience as a healthcare worker and having you know members of my family in healthcare and and how knowing the hospital a little bit intimately too. I I without getting into details. I know how a hospital works um, from multiple personal experiences. The fact that you could go out and do your job the fact that a truck driver could go out and do their job, the fact that those guys – and I'm not just being pandering here. I'm serious. The fact that these guys, these truck drivers, these guys who stocked the shelves with our food got us through, at least here in New York, what could have been a chaotic period where there would be a lot more than boredom that would have been the problem. And we're able to do it. And and, and though there were sicknesses and illnesses, trust me, I talk to people that are in these businesses Uh, And and they're not just, you know, they're at the front line. There are people I know who have gotten the disease, the virus, I should say. Um, And they were able to continue to push forward and work. There's no reason why these baseball players can't do that. And I'm not sure, and my main issue is what I said in the beginning, where Andy Martino of SNY has said that, well, part of this is for the players and the media to model the behavior that everybody needs to put out there. That's not what we want. We want entertainment, and we want normalcy, and we want to get back. We want them to be safe. We want them to be safe with real stuff, by cleaning the clubhouse, by providing sanitizers, um, by them not uh, going out and putting themselves in compromising positions, um, you know, by them not doing the hygienic things that they should be doing. The, the fist bump, that's just politics. And that's my issue. There's good... I'm not dismissing any of the pra- principles and practices. There's good things that come from... What the CDC and what healthcare workers are asking us to do. And there's silly things. And you have to balance both of them out. And that's all. But I appreciate you listening. You have a hell of a hard job. You've got people apparently that uh, depend on you. It sounds like you're in a management position. And I'll tell you what. That's a thankless job in and of itself. No matter if you're in healthcare or you know whatever industry. So just know that my take is this. If you can go to work every day and grind it out, they can too. And it's going to take a lot more than just a gator mask or a fist bump for them to do that. And I think you'll be surprised at how few infections you'll get out of the professional community for a variety of reasons. And the fact that, you know, we're focused on some of these other things that are not the real game changer to me is disrespectful to a guy like you. But anyway, not to get any more deeper into that, Randy, thank you so much for listening. Thank you for reaching out. And any of you want to reach out, send me uh, an email. Again, Mike Silva at TalkingMetsPodcast.com. No G. Of course, you can send me a tweet at Mike Silva Media. You can get the show on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, pretty much whatever podcasting service you desire. Before I say goodbye, just to let you know, we'll be back to a regular schedule probably next week. Mets have a Sunday night game. So let's play it by ear. Let's see how the schedule goes. My plan is to continue to bring you Sunday podcast, even in a pandemic-shortened season. But... Obviously, there's a lot of ifs of how things go. We want to bring you the best content. And this is a different season, a 60-game season. So just like the players have to adjust, just like you have to adjust, I have to adjust too, and that's my commitment to you. I'm your host, Mike Silva. Enjoy the rest of your week. Enjoy opening day. Be healthy, be safe. Watch it from the comfort of your home. And take care, everybody.